ones. We have a great call for you today uh, led by some industry panelists. Uh, with me today I have Mike Taggart from Nuveen Investments, Chris Larson from Leg Mason, and Will Corver from Guggenheim. Certainly, as many of you know, the investment landscape has been a challenging one. Uh, while we've seen nice investment returns so far this year, what we're hearing from a lot of investors is concern around what the equity markets will do, or certainly the challenge of finding yield and income in today's marketplace, given the low absolute yields in the bond market. And so one of the places that we thought we would start given the closed-end fund market really is designed to go ahead and provide income to clients is just starting off with some of our panelists talking about some of the opportunities that we see in the closed-end marketplace. And so, Mike, maybe I'll start with you. Uh, the average yield currently in the closed-end marketplace right now is about 7%. And one of the things that we've seen in the past that's been uh, a great thing for investors is that bond returns over the last 30 years have yielded you know, six to six and a half percent. However, if we look at what the bar cap ag gets you now, that's the index that just goes ahead and measures core bonds. You know, the yield on that index is about two percent. And obviously, as we know, the 10-year treasury has been trading about one and a half percent. So going ahead and finding these type of returns in the future is going to be really difficult. Uh, and one of the areas that you can do that certainly is closed-in funds, given the fact uh, that you can give a, get a seven percent yield. But maybe before we go there, if you can just talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the closed-in marketplace uh, and some of the opportunities that are out there. Yeah, sure, John. Thanks. Um, you know, what we've seen so far this year in closed-end funds pretty much across the board is discount tightening. And when it comes to distributions, the, you know, the market is really kind of pricing in the yield, right? So I think, at least from my perspective. So income-oriented investors, you know, if a fund's, if a fund's portfolio is thrown off, say, you know, 5%, the fund's trading at a 10% discount, they're going to get around a 5.5% uh, distribution rate at price. So that discount acts as a kind of a yield enhancement. Now, with the discounts having kind of narrowed, they're not getting that yield enhancement. So, you know, what do they do? Well, I say to close-end fund investors and advisors, look, where else, are you, you know, you're still going to get the 5%, say, or as you said, 7%, but I'm thinking about munis. Um, you're still getting 7%. Where else are you going to get, find that in a diversified portfolio with professional management? The reason you can have those kind of yields in a closed-end fund is because over time, our closed-end fund structure hasn't had to um, sell shares when clients redeem their, their own shares, you know. So we haven't had to sell securities, and we don't have to buy them when fund flows are positive into our funds because of the closed structure. But you know, the, the main reason that we can do that is because most closed-end funds are leveraged. And so as long as, we're bar our, as long as our borrowing costs are beneath where we, we can reinvest that money, we're still going to get that incremental spread that helps earnings, that helps uh, distributions. Obviously, that's a little bit different for, man for funds that have managed distributions, but um, you know, that's kind of the gist of it. So I mean, I think that they're for income-oriented long-term investors, Despite rising borrowing costs, um, you know, there and despite the narrower discounts, there's still plenty of opportunity in closed-end funds. 
Thanks, Mike. And, and that's a great point. And just maybe to stay with that municipal theme, uh, you know, we've seen the discount shrink in munis. Uh, just for everybody on the call, year-to-date market price performance for the muni closed-end fund asset class, we see those funds currently through uh, last Friday's close up about 12.5%. Uh, but the NAV values of those funds, the net asset value of those funds, up 7%. Uh, and that's because of the fact that we have seen discount narrowing, uh, to Mike's point. And so now the average discount in a closed down muni fund is, is basically 40 basis points or less than 1%, so 0.4%. So very little discount there, Mike, but to your point, uh, getting a 5% yield, the average muni yielding a little bit over 5% right now, and that's before you take into account the tax equivalent nature, uh, certainly still a very attractive uh, income level. Chris, maybe moving it over to you, uh, you guys have a wide variety of funds over at Leg Mason. Um, one of the areas that's been quite interesting um, is, is certainly on the MLP side. We've seen, uh, you know, we've seen MLPs and commodity type products have a great year. We've also seen some of the global bond funds uh, that you guys have uh, have a really good year, uh, as obviously rates have gone down globally and emerging markets have done well. What are you guys seeing that uh, looks attractive on the taxable side uh, of the equation? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a really good question, and you're right, MLP, it's funny, I was looking at kind of performance year to date, and, and you know, given all the turmoil that went through at the end of last year, it's, it's one of the best performing sectors year to date, uh, but there's still some, you know, there's still concerns around there, and I think that's why it hasn't, you know, come all the way back to where it was. So when we look at, you know, the MLP space, for example, MLPs themselves, and it's not closings, but they're they're trading with about a little bit over a seven percent distribution. Where historically they trade with a little bit over a six percent distribution. I think that reflects some of the the concern out there about the future of kind of energy. Um, at Clearbridge, we're you know cautiously op optimistic. Uh, Clearbridge, our affiliate that manages our MLP funds, um, in that you know energy. While we expect to see a little bit of a pullback in uh, the supply, we expect that to start to reverse in 2017. Um, so we feel pretty good about the space and think that you know that the risk is a little bit asymmetric in that, um, you know, barring an unforeseen event, we think that the market will kind of, you know, glide path and stay somewhere around that $50 oil over time, maybe a little bit higher than that, um, and that should be good uh, for the space as we'll see production come online. The other area that we do like, though, we like credit. And I know, you know, we, we've seen the discounts tighten on investment grade as well as on high yield. You know, and you can say, well, geez, yields are, you know, not that high compared to where they were years ago. You know, and, th and that's obviously true. But when you, you think about the space and then just think about bonds generally, right, and you think about all the bonds globally, there's about $82 trillion in bonds out there. And approximately 75% of that yield 1% or less, right? So it's, all right, that's not great. But when, when you look at that backdrop and you think about credit, um, you know, it, it really offers a, a pretty wide uh, gap in what you're, you're getting in the credit space to where those, you know, bond yields are. And when you think about credit fundamentals, and obviously, energy and you know commodity-oriented um, names are challenged right now. Outside of that space, 
you know, the fundamentals really are um, uh, uh, the fundamentals are are pretty good. You know, they, what what Western's seeing is they're not seeing an overextension. They're not seeing you know, they're seeing pretty reasonable fundamentals, and they think given the backdrop of where other you know yield bonds are trading is a pretty big gap, so they think there's still room for some uh, compression there. Thanks, Chris, and, and really good points. Uh, you know, we're still seeing discounts in some of these taxable funds, so away from the munis, you know, if you look at the high-yield sector, still trading at about a 6% discount on average. Investment-grade bonds also right around there, so there are some still some discounts uh, in these credit areas, uh, unlike munis. Uh, Investment-grade bonds in the closed-end space, we're seeing yield around 5 to 5.5. High-yield, you can still pick up uh, 8 to 9%, uh, and so uh, you can go ahead and do some research uh, out on the CIFA.com website if you're looking for that, or CEF Connect is another very good website to go ahead and look at, uh, to go ahead and do some fund screening to see if there's any uh, credit opportunities, or as Chris mentioned, also uh, some of the MLP opportunities. Uh, I have a couple more questions for the panelists, but we do want to make this interactive. Uh, the email address to ask any questions of anybody on the call today is CIFA at CIFA.com, so that's C-E-F-A at CIFA.com. Uh, please go ahead and send your questions in. Uh, we'll make sure that we answer as many as we possibly can get to. Uh, and if we don't answer your question, we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Will, I want to I move over to you. Um, one of the things that have been talked a lot about in the closed-end market and the way a lot of these taxable bond funds and muni bond funds are enhancing their yield is through leverage. And so a lot of people have said that closed-end funds are a great play on low for longer. In other words, if you do not think the Federal Reserve is going to raise short-term interest rates, going ahead and utilizing leverage given the fact that borrowing costs remain cheap uh, is a great way to do that. So there's some good opportunities there. There's also some risk there. Uh, can you talk us through about what Guggenheim's seeing there and, and kind of your, your view on interest rates? Sure. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, I think, you know, I often think of closed-end funds as a, an efficient vehicle in an otherwise inefficient market. And to echo, you know, some of what Mike said, the structure itself lends itself to some unique asset classes and strategies. Um, but going with that, you need to understand some of those inefficiencies and uh, be able to take advantage of those. And so understanding the structure and how uh, the vehicle itself may react uh, almost like an asset class, although it's, uh, it comprises several diverse asset classes, is key. And one of the factors, certainly, that uh, at least historically speaking, we've seen that affect closed-end fund valuations uh, and performance, although it certainly seems to affect in the short-term performance more dramatically, is interest rates. And you know, you, you kind of look out there, and it's basically a coin toss uh, by year-end for for what the Fed may do as far as a hike. Um, but if it's lower for longer, certainly. Uh, the closed-end fund vehicle is one that allows you to essentially uh, leverage those uh, that income and those returns, and provided you're comfortable with the, the risk profile of that, it can be a, a pretty unique way, and uh, you highlighted the disparity uh, between what you could get from just your standard bond portfolio or a broad-based index versus what closed-end funds are currently offering. Um, you know, you look at, uh, and I think it's also key to separate out, too, um, when you're talking about Fed funds versus interest rates more generally, and you know, if you look historically at least, um, closed-end funds actually, aside from maybe the initial market reaction to surprise, uh, perform decently in uh, both rising interest rate environment, um, actually perform better in some instances when the Fed is raising rates 
than when uh, decreasing rates. And uh, looking further into that and looking at how, uh, at least historically speaking, closed-end funds have behaved versus more longer term, so, you know, 10-year treasury type of returns, there's actually, uh, you know, a negative correlation between equity funds and interest rates and uh, a positive correlation, not surprisingly, between a lot of the municipal space and um, somewhat surprisingly, uh, not much relationship, at least with taxable fixed income. And I think some of that may have to do with the the unique nature of that, which, you know, includes uh, funds that are oriented towards credit, uh, whether it be high yield or floating rate. Um, so as long as you're selective and understand some of the risks, um, especially since this seems to be one of the most telegraphed and anticipated uh, type of Fed environments that we've seen. So there is certainly that potential um, for surprise. So being mindful of all that and understanding that these funds themselves uh, encompass asset classes that have characteristics that will react to, uh, be it interest rates or volatility or things like that. So um, certainly areas like uh, the ones that uh, Chris mentioned uh, and credit, um, again, being selective about valuations and where we're at um, may make some sense at this time. Thanks, Will. Um, we are getting some questions in here. We'll, we'll get to those in just uh, a few moments, one or two more prepared questions here. And again, it's uh, CEFA, C-E-F-A, at CEFA.com to ask uh, any questions. Um, the, the One of the questions that we get a lot, and I think there's a wide variety of folks on this call, some of them uh, may be experts in closed-end funds, uh, and Michael, direct this question over, over to you. Uh, maybe for some people that haven't used closed-end funds as much, um, there are some things that, uh, that make sense for people who invest in closed-end funds to think about. So could you provide a few expert tips for, for those people that are just trying to get started in closed-end funds uh, and then taking some of the advice on the opportunities and that income availability around how to go ahead and invest them and use them in a portfolio? Well, that's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. I mean, I think that for the most part, closed-end funds should be looked at like other types of funds. So, you know, before you invest in a mutual fund, what what kind of due diligence do you do? You know, you probably look at the investment strategy, the investment objective. Um, you know, what what does the fund invest in? If you're an income-oriented investor, you're probably looking at how does the how does the fund generate this amount of income? Um, I think all of those are really important make sure uh, you're looking at for closed-end funds, you know, especially, you know, so make sure it's kind of fitting the needs of your portfolio and that you understand stuff. You know, make sure it also fits your risk profile. Um, and then when it comes to the looking at, you know, is the fund trading at a discount and that sort of thing, I think it's important to, or, or, or at a huge premium um, or a big premium, whatever, um, then you need to kind of take that into account account, but say kind of maybe maybe if it's trading at a large discount, that's just the icing on the cake. Um, but, you know, then once it's in your portfolio, what you care about is total return. You don't care about necessarily the price return. And I think that anybody, or, you know, this is a huge issue in the closed-end fund space because most closed-end funds are built to provide income. And on your brokerage statement, the income, the dividends and or distributions, whatever, they, they show up in a separate space. And so, you know, for instance, if you're going to buy one of our uh, new VIN municipal fund, our goal is to try to keep that NAV in price steady over time and, you know, over a long period of time and to have most of the return come to you as income. So what you're going to see on your brokerage uh, statement month after month, quarter after quarter is, you know, 
it, it looks like, hey, the, the price isn't moving, and that, or, or, or hopefully, you know, <laughs> but you know, you got to look at the the total return, meaning take the income component into into um, account as well. And then, especially like when you're buying or selling these things, you need to put in market order. Or, I'm sorry, you don't want to put in market orders. You need to put in a limit order because a lot of these closed-end funds, um, in general, are thinly traded, which means that if you put in a large order to say to sell, you're going to move the market. And so, you know, one way to do that is to put in a limit order. Um, rather than a typical, you know, just buy at the market. So that's kind of where you were going with that, John? That, that's the, those are great answers, Mike. And maybe just to recap again, you know, looking at that total return, I think to your point, uh, we, we see it here at BlackRock as well. That's that's the biggest misperception about these funds. Uh, you know, my, my fund came out at 20. It seems like a closed-end fund. Everybody remembers what the price they bought it at. I find, to your point, on the mutual fund side, people tend to not know what price they bought a mutual fund at. Closed-end funds, uh, it's great because you can trade them like a stock or an ETF. But people remember the price, but then they forget that they're getting that 8 9% distribution uh, and so the fact that the fund maybe hasn't appreciated, uh, they think it hasn't gone anywhere, but they, they forget to look in that cash account where they've, they've got that nice uh, monthly, in many cases, uh, income check coming in. And then especially in those volatile markets to go ahead and make sure that uh, you're using that limit order is great advice given the fact that uh, some of these things can be an opportunity given the fact that they're thinly traded and may trade at discounts. Uh, but if you use a market order and don't get in at the, the specific price um, that you want to, that could be a, a certain downside risk. So we're getting some questions coming into SIFA uh, at SIFA.com. And Chris, I'm going to go over to you because I, I think you have a few funds in the leg uh, slash Western lineup that uh, fit here. But the, the first question that we have in is uh, if you could just give a view uh, on the emerging market debt space, uh, whether or not uh, uh, you're seeing any opportunities there uh, and uh, what your thought is uh, on that space. Yeah, great. Thank you. So it's a good question. Um, it's interesting because we've recently seen, especially even since the whole Brexit uh, vote, uh, right, with the UK voting to leave the European Union, all of a sudden we've seen increased demand, certainly on the, the um, emerging market uh, debt space, where over the past you know, year or so, I think people were avoiding that because you know, the risks of slower growth you know, globally, domestically, um, but I think given where we are now, you know, people are concerned about, you know, growth, you know, in Europe now, you know, expectations are down a little bit. Um, uh, and I think the, you know, when you look at the emerging market space, it's one of those areas where there actually still is growth, right? And when you think about the political risk that's associated with emerging markets, right, well, Brexit, you know, all of a sudden put a lot of things, you know, on its head where people are now concerned about, you know, what's the future, what happens in the UK, what happens to some other countries there. You know, everything may turn out to be totally fine, but people are just concerned, and with a concern, they look for other places to invest their money. Um, so, and then even here in the US with the election coming up, right, there's just uncertainty around that. And so I think people look at it and say, all right, well, I can get some growth, I can, I can get some income in these emerging markets, and people are, are starting to uh, come back to emerging markets. And, and the team at Western, the Mazda products, they're, they're very constructive on the space. Thanks, Hope Chris. And, uh, you, John. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And certainly seeing some of those uh, emerging market debt funds um, 
continuing to trade at pretty attractive discounts. Uh, certainly there's both hard currency funds that are uh, denominated in U.S. dollars and then local currency funds, so keep a lookout for that. Uh, but to Chris's point, uh, us at BlackRock as well, uh, we, we think the emerging market debt space has some, uh, some nice opportunity and, uh, and do like that area to, to also echo uh, Chris's points. Um, one of the other questions we got in here, and, and I can help take it, and, and then maybe we can have one of our panelists uh, go ahead and uh, take, a, uh, take a stab at it, but what's going on with uh, some of the option strategies uh, to enhance income? Uh, what we've seen here at BlackRock, given that we do have uh, some of those strategies, uh, is they have had a good year. Uh, obviously, when volatility picks up, uh, those strategies can go ahead and enhance income, uh, and when you're in kind of this range-bound market, uh, they do not get a lot of stocks called away. Uh, so we've seen a, a lot of those products uh, for us do fairly well uh, in this uh, in this market environment. So the, the big risk for option strategies, obviously, is if you think the market is going to continue to go up very strongly, um, some of those stocks may get called away from you. Uh, and so one of the risks of option strategies uh, is obviously uh, a market going up too fast. Um, the, the other risk on option strategies is we do have to remember uh, that these option strategies invest in equities. So if the market declines very precipitously, like we saw in 2008, uh, you could have some distribution cuts because the, uh, those markets are going to go down. But right here in this market where we believe at BlackRock it's going to grind higher, uh, we are big believers in these option strategies because you can take advantage of the volatility with getting some decent amount of uh, equity upside. Um, I'll open up to any of the other uh, panelists on the panel to uh, see if anybody else has opinion on the option strategies, uh, and then we're going to get into a question on uh, the Fed again, so maybe I'll come back to, to you on that one, Will, but anybody with uh, opinion on option strategies? Okay, maybe I mean, we'll I, go on to our... I, I mean, I, I, I have an opinion on but my opinion happens to be very similar to yours, so um, no, no sense in, in chiming in there, I guess. Thanks, Mike. So, so Will, the, the next question that we have, um, you know, you started talking about this a little bit, but um, maybe we can uh, we can go ahead and um, you know dive a little bit more into it, uh, which is the, the question is really around, you know, leverage in in closed end funds, and you know what's going to happen if we do go into a rising rate environment. And I think it's a good question because uh, right now a lot of people uh, haven't been anticipating that the Fed's going to increase interest rates, and certainly the trend over the last two years or so has been you know lower for longer. Uh, so the the question really to you is uh, these leverage CEFs, what what happens to them when the Fed increases interest rates, and how do these things perform in rising rate environments? Yeah, it's a great question. It's one we get frequently, and I, I think it harkens back to uh, some of the comments that we made at the beginning of the call, which is it's uh, it's a vehicle that's comprised of several different asset classes and strategies, and those are very diverse. And uh, similarly, the way in which uh, you know interest rates will affect each asset class and strategy is going to vary as well. Um, so that in the same manner that you would do due diligence on uh, picking a particular mutual fund or uh, ETF and understanding, you know, what uh, what's going to affect these. I think, you, you know, for example, you look at uh, municipal closed-end funds and, and typically um, rising short-term rates or so rising Fed funds has a more immediate impact um, from an earnings perspective on those funds just because that is much more tied to the yield curve. Um, you contrast that with, uh, you know, equity-oriented funds where uh, a rise in short-term rates doesn't have as direct of an impact 
um, because ultimately what you're what you're trying to do there is not only lever any sort of dividend income that there may be, but also uh, total returns um, that you're generating from capital gains uh, or capital gains through, in the, in the case of covered call funds, through uh, equity premium. So I think each individual asset class and strategy is going to be affected differently. And then, you know, you look at the credit areas, particularly high yield, and they're, um, even with modest hikes, there remains a, a very tremendous spread between the cost of financing for a lot of closed-end funds and what they're able to generate uh, in their long-term investments. And then, um, you know, going along with that, uh, if yields rise across the board, then you certainly have higher um, uh, income that you can generate on your long-term investments. Um, you know, certainly the flip side of if uh, long-term rates go down, um, that's going to benefit funds that have some duration and it's going to benefit funds um, from a, a more of an appreciation or total return perspective. So it really does, uh, it really is important to look at the uh, specifics of the fund and the strategy to understand, you know, what's a, what's a Fed hike or what are short-term interest rates going to mean for um, the ultimate earnings power as well as um, total return that you can expect from the fund. And that's putting aside what sort of impact there would be on the market price, which obviously is what the shareholder experiences. And so, uh, again, uh, somewhat surprisingly or somewhat counterintuitively, um, closed-end fund categories, aside from initial reaction, actually do uh, fairly well in, uh, in rising interest rate environments, specifically you know, some of your taxable fixed income and equity. And I think the presumption there would be that, that those types of actions are only taken in um, a more positive economic backdrop. So, again, it's critical, I think, to look at uh, uh, whether you're talking about short or long-term interest rates and then tie that to how you analyze where the fund's long-term investments are. Those are, those are great points, Will, thanks. And uh, I think the point that, you know, all closed-in funds are not the same and you have to look at the underlying uh, category is, is really an important one. Uh, you know, and as you talked about, uh, some of these equity funds or some of these lower-duration fixed-income funds, which have less interest rate sensitivity or what we call duration sensitivity, meaning that they will have less sensitivity to rising interest rates, uh, they're still trading at some pretty interesting uh, discounts, meaning wide discounts. So certainly some opportunity there. So uh, for those people that are worried about rising rates, um, obviously munis do have some longer durations, uh, but there are plenty of, prog uh, plenty of funds out there that have shorter durations that can help uh, insulate versus that rate increase. Um, the, the next question I, I can quickly take, uh, it's what are some of the key differences between an ETF and a closed-end fund? Uh, obviously both of these products are exchange-traded. The closed-end fund uh, typically is actively managed. Uh, it typically does not uh, have uh, the ability to go ahead and create and redeem new shares, which is why it's called close, meaning it does not have inflows and outflows. Uh, if you think about an ETF, many ETFs, while there are some active ETFs out there, tend to be passive investments, meaning that they track an index uh, and they do have a create and redeem feature. Uh, so they typically trade right around where their net asset value is. Uh, the last thing that we've been discussing here, obviously, is closed-end funds can utilize things like leverage, where some ETFs may be uh, two times levered or three times levered, but a majority of the ETFs uh, will typically not use leverage and typically track these indices. So hopefully that, uh, that helps 
helps uh, the, uh, the email here from Don around uh, the differences between ETFs and closed-end funds. Again, if you want to ask a question to uh, any of our panelists, it's cifa at cifa.com. Um, Michael, come to you with the next question. It's on munis. Um, see if you have a view here, but the question just really is, you know, what's the view on munis going into, uh, into the election, uh, and does, uh, do you guys have any view on what could potentially happen, uh, or are, we, are you worried about uh, tax exemption rates changing at all? Um, you know, I think that actually the market as a whole, I've, I've speculated in internal writings that that's what's been driving the um, the compression in discounts on municipals over the past year. I mean, it, it started um, with kind of a little bit of the January effect in December, and you know, it just kind of continued to push on through. I mean, obviously, a lot of that has to do with the underlying performance uh, of the NAV, um, with you know, under what's going on in the underlying municipal bond markets. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's that could be uh, one of the drivers. Um, it would be interesting, and if anybody's ever uh, kind of gone back and looked at what has typically happened in other election years uh, with municipals, um, I'd be interested to see that study <laughs> if I don't turn around and do it myself. So, thanks, Mike. Um, maybe moving on to the view? next question. Well, you know what, John? I mean, what if I kick that back to you? I mean, does BlackRock have a view uh, on that? Yeah, yeah. Our, our view is obviously, you know, elections. Uh, it's it's obviously uncertain. Um, you know, at this point in time, we do not believe that. Um, you know, the uh, the tax status will change on munis. Obviously, that's that's always a risk that you uh, that you have within the marketplace. But that's something that we we currently, you know put a pretty low probability uh, around. Um, obviously, uh, there is the chance um, that tax rates could change, uh, and that, um, you know, that, that could uh, impact municipals. Our view, though, is we continue to be pretty positive on municipals uh, for three reasons, really. Um, that tax exemption in this low-rate environment uh, really is very attractive. It gives you some really attractive income. If you think about a, you know, a, a muni, as you mentioned, Mike, that's yielding five percent. The tax equivalent yield on that, you know, is in the eight to nine percent range. So where can you find high quality assets that are going to yield eight uh, percent? Number two, one of the interesting things that we've seen, and it's going to be higher for closed-end munis because they're leveraged, but munis, the volatility on munis have, has been very, very low. It's actually, if you take away the leverage, it's been lower than treasuries, which obviously is the, the safest investment out there. Uh, and then the third thing that we've looked at is um, munis um, have provided some nice downside protection against equity risk. So if you look back over the last five years, there's been about 10 periods, 10 monthly periods where the equity market's been down greater than 2%, uh, and the Muni index uh, over that period of time is up about 1% per month in those periods. So obviously that's going to get enhanced in the closed-end nature. So in those periods, equities on average were down about 4%, and Muni's are up 1%. So it's a great diversifier. You're getting a really attractive income, and you're getting fairly low vol. Obviously the big risk is there's a lot of duration risk in Muni's, uh, but we, we continue to, to like that, uh, that asset class. So, Chris, the next question we have uh, coming in is uh, is actually on the supply of the new closed-end market. So if you think about the closed-end market, um, there hasn't been a lot of issuance this year in the closed-end market. And so one of the questions that came in here is, given the fact that you are seeing munis now trade at par and discounts have come in, uh, do you think there's going to be a supply of new closed-end coming to market? And what's the outlook for the new issuance market? 
Uh, yeah, no, it's a, a interesting question. Yeah, the, the market's really been um, uh, pretty soft. There hasn't been much new that's come to the market. There have been a couple of offerings, uh, but not that many. I think the trend that we've seen out there, you know, given that the space is traded at wide discounts as people were concerned about, you know, rising rates, you know, last year certainly, and other things has been mergers, and we've seen a lot of uh, funds merge, and which is great. You know, mergers generally for for investors is a really good thing because it um, uh, it spreads. You, you get economies of scale, it spreads your your fixed costs across more assets. It creates better liquidity in the marketplace. There's a whole host of reasons. Um, on the new issue side, yeah, it's interesting because you know the way we think about it about new product. In the closed-in space is, you know, we want to make sure we're going to bring something when we, we view there as really being some kind of like a good opportunistic play. Um, and, and that's how we think about it. I think that's how most people think about it. So, um, yeah, I think as, as discounts, you know, narrow, there obviously becomes, you know, opportunities out there. And, and I'm sure you'll see, you know, a little bit of an uptick. I don't know that we'll go back to, you know, 15 deals a year, but I could see some things maybe come out in the second half. I wouldn't be surprised. Thanks, Chris. And one of one of the points that uh, that I would also make is, um, you know, uh, some sometimes uh, vintages matter, and um, obviously closed end funds they're sold on income. Uh, you know, if you look back at a lot of uh, a lot of funds uh, came out in higher interest rate environments, uh, so bonds will eventually get called away. I think that's a big risk in the closed end market, especially in in munis. We probably see uh, earnings in. Uh, distributions maybe come down in muni funds given the fact that they're high and bonds will likely get called away, but it's also an opportunity for some of those existing funds in the secondary market, whether it be high yield funds or investment grade funds or, or munis, is that you know when those bonds were issued at higher uh, interest rate environments, uh, they do generate higher coupons. So um, I think it really depends too on, uh, on what yield environment we stay in. Obviously yields have only been going uh, downward, so I think that will also uh, impact what happens in the new issuance market. Well, maybe coming over to you, one of the other questions that we have in here, uh, and there's a few of them, so I, I think there's a couple of different places you can take this uh, because I, I think um, return of capital is something that gets talked about, but it's really different for equity funds versus MLP funds, uh, and certainly you, you typically don't see a lot of return of capital on uh, income funds. Uh, but but how do you how do you uh, try to evaluate return of capital, and how do you sort of view destructive return of capital versus a managed distribution policy? So I don't, I don't know if you guys have a view of that over at Guggenheim. Yeah, so I can give you my own view, is which is that um, you know it is key to differentiate uh, return of capital from um, what uh, if it's good or bad, so to speak, and then also I, I would say differentiate it from. Um, you know, throughout the year, there's estimates provided about where a fund may stand um, through what's called Section 19 notices. And so, um, you know, that uh, are often on-the-run estimates and, you know, describe the sources of distributions. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean, though, however, that your end-of-year final kind of tax characteristics as it relates to your 1099 will uh, reflect that. And so I think that's key to differentiate that. Um, and then also, you know, um, looking at the different types of, of return of capital and how that uh, how that resulted, um, you know, I think the key is as you evaluate any closed end fund is is also not not only looking at the income potential but also the total return potential. 
And so the, the same holds true if you're looking at um, you know, distributions and understanding you, you kind of want a fund that has a uh, record of delivering attractive total returns, um, delivering returns that uh, you know, um, may even exceed current distribution rates. And so that, uh, I think, is a key component of it as, as well. Um, in some instances, like with the MLP funds, for example, that's the nature of the underlying asset class is they're passing through effectively tax-deferred distributions um, uh, for a majority of their distributions. And so that flows through a lot of the funds. And so you're, it's not as though you're not getting cash flows somewhere behind it. It's just that those cash flows may be, uh, those distributions may be uh, tax-deferred or return of capital. Um, you know, we, we obviously always point people to consult with tax advisors and uh, financial advisors for information specific to their uh, own situation. Um, but generally speaking, I think return of capital is something that can be misunderstood in the closed-end fund universe uh, and also may be a result of uh, prior year's losses where the income or the appreciation is there, but though that has been offset to some extent by prior year's losses. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't also have a positive total return for that fund. Um, so it's, it requires a lot more analysis and digging, um, and that's where it's important to, you know, have the right manager and the right analysis going into determining, um, you know, how, how you sort of should view a closed-end fund's distribution rate. Thanks, Will. Um, and there's some there's a few questions that we've got on individual funds. I just want to let everybody on the line know that we'll uh, we'll certainly answer those uh, offline. So we have your email addresses. We'll get back to you on uh, anything around uh, the individual funds. A couple of them are based on leverage, and just so just maybe to give everybody an update, um, most closed-end fund providers provide leverage on their website. Um, for, for the most part, uh, closed-end funds do have a max leverage of 50%, so it's very rare that you'll see a closed-end bond fund be leveraged more than 50%. Um, I would say from an industry standard, most closed-end uh, muni funds are typically leveraged somewhere around 30 to 40%, and then the taxable funds uh, usually around the third or so. So those are just very high guidelines on where leverage is when we're talking about leverage in the closed-end market. Um, I know we got a couple of questions in on specific funds, uh, both around leverage and other things, and so I just want everybody to know we'll, we'll get back to anybody um, offline on specific funds. If you do have uh, larger questions, uh, again, uh, please uh, uh, email us here at uh, cifa at cifa.com. Um, Mike, I'll come back to, to you. This is a difficult one. I, I can talk about it as well. Um, but uh, the question comes in around uh, DOL, which is the Department of Labor ruling uh, within the within the um, the market around uh, financial advisors being fiduciaries. Uh, and the question here is uh, if there is any opinion from our group here uh, on the line around how that will uh, affect the overall closed-end fund space. Uh, before I turn it to you, Mike, I'll preface that this, this rule is fairly new. It's only been out for a few months. And so the, the, the view that many firms are taking on that is it's too early to, to tell, uh, given the fact that uh, a lot of brokerage firms uh, haven't yet decided on how they are going going to uh, go ahead and implement uh, that rule, but if anybody else on the call has uh, other uh, insights and wants to share it, I'll, I'll go ahead and open it up, Mike, to yourself or, or Will or Chris, if you have any other comments on uh, the Department of Labor ruling around the fiduciary rule. I mean, I think you you kind of hit it on the head that, um, you know, it, it, a lot of it depends on, on what's going on at the advisor level um, and that sort of thing. I mean, to go back to my earlier point, if if you're 
if, if, if you're doing the, you know, how, how does this fund fit into my client's portfolio? Is it the right fit? Um, is it going to meet their needs? Does it meet the risk profile? Um, you know, I mean, you know, and then you kind of, as you kind of go down that path, you're narrow, you're increasingly narrowing the, uh, your investment options, you know, how they fit into the client portfolio or your own portfolio, then, um, you know, again, discounts and that sort of thing, premiums, um, kind of are one of the, the last things to look at. Um, I mean, I think that that's probably the right process to go down. But again, we have to wait to see what um, what the uh, what the uh, broker brokerage firms themselves um, decide. Great, thanks, Mike. So we're we're about forty minutes into the call here. Again, we have a few more minutes to answer any other questions. Cifa at cifa.com. Um, I, I want to give this opportunity though, for just for for everybody online, maybe I think some of you guys have talked about it already. Just on for for people that are you know looking into the closed end market um, at your firm, where where do you see the best opportunity? So maybe we will we'll close uh, on on that. So will maybe we'll start with you, just you know for somebody that's going ahead and looking at closed end funds for the first time. They're looking to try to find uh, income in this marketplace today. Uh, what's Guggenheim uh, recommending at this point, or at least um, thinks uh, look looks attractive? Sure. Yeah, I think um, you know we we offer in, a number of individual closed-end funds, and they're across a variety of asset classes. Um, and I, you know we also have uh, UITs or unit investment trusts of closed-end funds. Um, so it's it's an important part and something that we believe in uh, from a business standpoint. And um, you know uh, some of the areas that I think have been highlighted here are uh, credit is certainly an area that we've seen um, offers uh, both in some instances attractive valuations, uh, discounts, um, and attractive income. Um, I mean you look at the average high yield fund and it's yielding uh, on net asset value a little under eight percent. Uh, as far as distribution rate, I should say, um, and you look at that and you kind of say, well, that's that's a pretty good way to get to uh, an attractive total return without even including any sort of uh, appreciation that may may be a part of that. So um, that's certainly one area. Um, it's not uh, you know recommendation per se, but it's certainly an area that I think uh, you can find some value in both from a current distribution rate um, and evaluation um, perspective. And I, I think also just being mindful that it's uh, important to be very selective in this environment where you're, you know, kind of the long-term or the discount, average discount is pretty close to long-term average. But if you kind of dissect that a little bit, you can find these areas of opportunity. Thanks, thanks, one. I think you made an important point there. Even away from, uh, even away from the discount, uh, just being able to uh, to go ahead and clip that coupon at eight uh, percent. There may be some volatility in those high yield portfolios, but getting eight uh, percent uh, distributions uh, certainly attractive in this this low return environment. Chris, maybe up to to you next around uh, you know uh, things that you're finding uh, clients interested in most at uh, at leg. Yeah, so we, again, yeah, definitely credit, um, you know, both investment grade and, and high yield, but away from that, we've been, you know, talked to a lot of people about uh, the MLP space, so there's definitely interest there, people trying to figure out if it's, you know, is the worst behind us, and is this the, the time to start getting back in, and then we chat a little bit uh, before about, which is emerging markets. Right, and, and obviously, you know, um, uh, 
what Mike Taggart talked about, about make sure it, it, you know, it fits your investment profile right from a risk perspective, from your portfolio, and, and all those things. But uh, that's essentially where we're seeing uh, a lot of the opportunity today. Thanks, Chris. And then, Mike, maybe to uh, to close on you, I know we kind of started the call with you. You talked a little bit about munis. Any other areas that uh, you're seeing some uh, interesting opportunities with uh, within the closed-end space? I mean, I think just in general, there's two spaces. One, I mean, it is munis, but one, the longer-term income-oriented investor. I mean, all of our closed-end funds across our uh, lineup have been designed to deliver cash flow, whether that's income, uh, realized capital gains, or return of capital uh, to shareholders. Um, I think what Will said, you know, it is a, it, it is a good uh, market. It, it's an important market. It's important to be very selective in this market. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of these income-oriented, longer-term investors who are new to CEFs um, like to dip their toes into the space by first investing in unleveraged closed-end funds. And we have quite a few unleveraged national muni funds. Um, I think if you're a shorter-term, the second thing would be if you're a shorter-term kind of tactical investor. You have time to look at the market pretty much every day to, to, to look at these discounts. I mean, we see discounts in quite a few kind of global hybrid type of funds um, where they can invest in equities uh, and, and taxable credits. Um, discounts are still pretty wide across the space, not just in our funds in those segments. And um, you know, I think that a lot of uh, our investors who are more oriented towards that kind of tactical positioning are, fine, are taking an interest in those ones. Thanks, Mike. Um, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you guys. Um, really provide a lot of information. Um, again, uh, for anybody that's looking for information, please go to the CIFA.